Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Thank you, Jesus, that that is who you are. God, that we can look to you no matter what is going on in the world, what's going on in our personal life, and we can rest Lord, in who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thanks for being with us and listening and tuning in. I just wanted to let you know uh, this might feel a little bit different. Um, I'm viewing this moment not so much as a teaching, as more of a conversation. Uh, I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to address you um, just pastorally from my heart what I sense um, God is asking us to um, focus in on. And so we as a church have been going through the book of John, and we are just about done. And as we are ending that book, uh, you see this theme kind of conclude the book where Jesus again and again draws you back to this idea of peace. And interestingly enough, when John starts his book, he opens up with this idea of grace. And it wasn't until this week that I realized that John's bookmarking of these themes of grace and peace, also being the Apostle Paul's uh, favorite way to start and end letters of grace and peace. It's also a familiar term that we use all the time within our church of grace and peace, has become somewhat um, of, of a theme and the ethos of our church. I would like to just draw our attention to what does grace and peace look like in a time like this? And before we dive into that, I just want you to know that Uh, Everything I'm going to say, I'm coming from a place of humility. Um, I understand that the world we live in right now is incredibly complex. It's heavy and it's hurting. And in no way do I feel like I'm an expert. Um, I'm not a medical expert. I don't understand all the implications of a global pandemic. Um, I am very much a student in learning and asking questions when it comes to the issues of social justice and racism in our country. Um, And also understanding that as you're watching this, you have your own personal storms in your life that you're walking through, whether it's with a family member or something going on inside of you. And so I understand that whoever is watching this right now, we are feeling a weight that for many of us, we've never even felt before. And what I would like for us to do is to draw our attention in the next few moments to grace and peace. Because this seems to be the attention that the the biblical authors are trying to draw the church to. And although these words can be familiar, it's in the familiarity that sometimes they become ambiguous. Well, what do you mean by grace? And what do you mean by peace? And so before we dive into grace, I want to just talk a minute about peace. You see, our world defines peace as the absence of chaos. But the Bible and the early Judeo-Christian audience defined peace not as the absence of chaos, but rather the presence of wholeness. When I was in Israel last September, the common greeting you would hear was shalom, especially on the Sabbath, Shabbat shalom. And this greeting has been in place for thousands of years. And so this idea of shalom was common uh, to Jesus and his followers in that day. 
But it's important for us to recognize that when Jesus or the biblical authors say shalom, they say peace, it means something other than just tranquility. It's a cry. It's a desire that everything would be put back into its right order. The word shalom points us back to the garden. It points us to when God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, when there was no shame, there was no brokenness in the environment, in the midst of relationships, in their own walk with God. Everything was in its right order. And in Genesis 3, we see the fall, the brokenness that enters into the story because of sin. And as that happens, there begins to be this disruption, this chaos, this divisiveness of of person against person between us and God. And even the earth experiences this macro and micro level of brokenness. And so the people of God early on, as God calls them to himself, it calls them to this, this mission and this vision of shalom, of bringing things back into order. And that has not changed. This is the work that God is about is taking the things that are broken, whether it has to do um, with the injustices in the, in the world around us, whether it's what we see when we open up our, our news and we hear um, of, of, of a murder of an innocent black man, whether it's we hear of another country being affected by a virus that we didn't even know existed six months ago. And, and, and all of this points to this desire of there has to be something else. We were not meant to live in this brokenness and this chaos. And the, the biblical answer for that is peace. That this is not something that we just hope happens. It's something that we call out to God for. It's we recognize that God is calling us and welcoming us into a place of peace. But as you look at the Bible... Although there's an agreement on what peace is, how you get to peace changes over the course of Scripture. At first, people take it into their own hands. They, they will it, right? They, have, they want to have their own strength to say, okay, God, this is how we make peace. I can do it. And what you see, as, as we follow the story of Israel, Israel is a case study of the human condition that no matter how hard we want it, we can never live with that sense of shalom between us and with God, not because of God, but because of our inability. And then we go later on, and what we see is people trying to establish peace by, um, by violence. There's, there's, there's these revolutions that rise up, but we'll, we'll make peace. And even at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people are oppressed because of this thing called um, Pax Roma, Roman peace, where they believe peace would come by, by, by dominating. And then in Jesus' day, there's this whole other group of religious people who believed that peace was going to come if everyone lived morally upright, if we just lived according to the law enough. And, and at the time that Jesus came to be, none of these efforts were working. There was still an absence of shalom. And so Jesus enters the scene promising and desiring the same thing everybody wants. Everybody wants shalom. But the way he says it will come shocks the world. Jesus believes that shalom will come through grace. It's, it's going to come through gift. In the person of Jesus Christ, 
in the giving up of himself, something will change. What was out of order can be put in order. And so I'm asking you that whatever is going on in your own emotion, in your own soul, in the turmoil you're feeling, would you remember that the solution Jesus offers is himself. It's the grace, the gift of God given over, ultimately crucified on a cross because he so badly wants us to have peace. And the world right now is throwing every sort of solution out of saying, this is how we're going to arrive at peace. And, And the answer for followers of Jesus is, we know that that has to come through the grace that Jesus gave. This is why John opens up his gospel with these words, out of his, Jesus's fullness, we've all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, there might be this temptation as you're hearing this to be like, well, that's just an easy answer. Just grace But if you track with Jesus' life, I wanted to point out a couple of key stories of if John starts his gospel saying grace upon grace was given, the fullness of grace was given, and then press play the life of Jesus. We are left with, well, how did Jesus live out this gift? How did he give himself for the sake of shalom, of reconciliation, of bringing us back into right relationship with God and with each other and with the earth? How did he live a life full of grace that brought that about? And we spent the last few months talking about that, but I want to draw our attention back to three specific stories of how Jesus lived out grace for the sake of shalom, to bring peace. Number one is at the very beginning of John's gospel. After Jesus turns the the water uh, into wine, we find him at the temple. And this is the most... Um, visibly moved and emotional, we see Jesus in all the Gospels. And he comes to the temple, and he's outraged. And he begins to start doing everything that he can to, to, to clear the temple. And, and he's and the, the money changers and the animals, and he's creating this massive scene. And it begs the question, Why? Why was Jesus this upset? And the answer is, it was about injustice. And we're like, what do you mean by that? Well, the injustice is, if you look at the different gospel stories of this account, we see that all of this activity was happening in what's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, the court of the Gentiles was on the outskirts of the temple, and it was designed by God to be a place where everyone could come, whether you were, whether you're Jewish or not, everyone was allowed in. Well, during the festival, with all of the people coming in, they needed some place to exchange money for their animals and the sacrifices that were going on. And so they decided to use the court of the Gentiles to be a place to fill it up. And by doing that, they pushed out other people of different races and different ethnicities who were desiring to come to the temple, but they couldn't fit into their space, and therefore they were left out. And Jesus is moved. 
Why is he moved? Why, is, why does he live out the gift of his life in this manner that it seems just so um, powerful and moving? Well, it's because going back to the garden, God's vision was always for shalom. It was for humanity, not just for one group of people or one person, but for all of his creation to be welcomed back into himself, welcomed back into right relationship. And so he, he comes in and, and reorganizes things, to say it mildly. And I think for us in these moments, there's this question of like, well, what do we do? We know that there's, there's not peace in our world right now. There's not shalom. And for us to recognize, well, according to the Bible, it happens through grace, but this grace is lived out with an active move towards justice. You see, justice in the biblical terms is, is not just making sure things are fair. It goes beyond that. Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project phrases it like this. While justice can be used to talk about retributive justice in which a person is punished for their wrongdoings, most of the time the Bible uses the word justice to refer to a restorative justice in which those who are unrightfully hurt or wronged are restored and given back to um, what was taken from them. Taken this way, the combination of righteousness and justice that God dictates means a selfless way of life in which people do everything they can to ensure that others are treated well and injustices are fixed. This re- the reason why the world right now is crying out for justice is because it's, it's a it's a recognition and a cry that there's something not right. And as the people of God, I think sometimes we, we get, feel stuck because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to do the wrong thing. We don't want to hurt anyone. So oftentimes we feel frozen or stuck. And, and again, so, this is coming from me. I'm speaking from my own experience. As followers of Jesus, part of the fullness of grace that Jesus exhibited was a living out of bringing rest, restorative justice back into place. And so my, my invitation for us as a church is that whenever we see injustice in the world, that we would see ourselves as followers of Jesus as a part of the solution. In this moment in time, the world is crying out for, for racial reconciliation and racial justice. And as a church, we have to understand, please hear me, this cannot be a political issue. This is an issue close to the heart of God because he created every man and woman in his image with divine dignity, value, and purpose. And if because of our fear of not knowing what to do or what to say, we stand back and let injustice continue, then we are missing out on the mission of Jesus. And I would encourage you, an encouragement to our church and to myself, that whenever we see injustice, whether it's racial, whether it's with a victim of human trafficking, whatever it looks like, that rather than taking a step back, would we step into it? And say, God, what does the grace of God look like in this moment? How do we live out the fullness of this? And and let's, let's recognize something. Racism in our country 
is a demonic agenda because it's a direct assault against the Imago Dei and the, and the vision God has for you, humanity. Division in our country is a demonic attempt. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we looked at Jesus' high priestly prayer. What was his prayer? Oneness. So guess what the agenda of the enemy is? It's division. And so we as the church have to wake up and not ask ourselves, what does this mean politically? We have to ask ourselves the question, what does this mean biblically? And how do we step into the work of Jesus Christ, which is always working towards shalom? And I would invite you to ask the Spirit of God, maybe right now, what does that look like? But here's what I want you to know. There is a pressure going on right now in the world that says, you have to do it like this. And when I look at the Bible, because we're trying to think biblically, what I see is that God has given us the, the image of a body, meaning the hands will not do what the feet are going to do, right? My, my ears will not do what my knees are going to do. But as a body, we're moving together. So the question, you, you can't feel the pressure to, well, I guess I have to do this. The question is rather, God, what have you asked me to do to participate in your vision for humanity? But know that this is what God is asking us into. This is, this is a part of the movement of grace. It's bringing about through the giving of ourselves towards the vision of shalom. The, the second thing that I want to let you know about grace is that in John chapter 11, we see Jesus enter into a moment when Lazarus has died and Mary and Martha, his sisters, come up and they are beside themselves. They're broken. And Jesus in this moment, rather than just giving them facts or rather than just saying, like, hey, it's okay, I'm going to raise him from the dead, he weeps with them. And the reason I want to draw attention to this is to, we need to recognize something as a church. And again, just please, please hear my heart on this. People are grieving right now. People are grieving jobs. They're grieving stability. They're grieving the trauma of racism. They are grieving what was and what won't be. People are grieving things interpersonally with their, in their own relational stories. We are surrounded by a nation of loss. The way that grace responds to grief is so beautiful. So the second thing I want to call us to is not just to live out grace through, through actively pursuing justice, but it's pursuing grace by understanding grief. Would you understand that the person who is, has hurt you, the person who is, is hurting right now, that every single one of us, and even in our own reaction sometimes, I don't know about you, but I myself am like, wow, what's gotten into me? Is there needs to be a grace for the grieving process. And for someone who has walked through a tremendous amount of grief, both myself and my family, there's some things that we've learned. Number one, your capacity becomes limited. When you used to be a full tank uh, of gas, you're now a quarter tank of gas. So what used to 
get you somewhere, you're going to actually have to take longer to get there. Which means that not only do you have to have grace for other people, but please hear me, you need to have grace for yourself. Your capacity is smaller right now. It's okay if things are moving slower and you don't feel as productive. You're, we're grieving right now. The second thing is for those, and we're asking how do we love those who are grieving, it's really easy when someone loses someone to step in that moment, whether it's the memorial, whether it's the next couple of weeks, hey, can I bring you food, can I bring you a meal? But as a family who's gone through grief, the people who show up three months later, who write you a card on the one-year anniversary, it's the people who are in it with you in the long haul that change you. Church, I'm asking in this moment where we're all experiencing a level of grief, number one, would you have grace for yourself? And number two, would you choose to be a person who enters into people of grief, not just when things are, are making the, um, the headlines on a news article, not just when things are prominent in front of us, but understanding that for the months and years to come, we need to be a people who visits into people's sense of loss and pain, just like Jesus did in John chapter 11, and to be present to them, to recognize that in the fog of grief, what we need more than anything is presence. Lastly, not only does the way Jesus lived out grace bring justice, he brings grace to those who are grieving, but this all culminates in one moment, and that is the cross. You see, the cross is the moment of the most vivid depiction of grace we have. And I would just encourage you this week, if you're spending a significant amount of time reading the news, scrolling through social media, and you have not reflected on the cross you will begin to start feeling yourself drowning underneath the weight of the waves around you. Because it's at the cross that we see love break through, give himself over unto death and darkness so that we may have life. So when you feel the heaviness of brokenness, of death, of loss, and we don't fixate our eyes on the enormous mercy and love and grace of God displayed on the cross, we have the potential to completely miss the greatest comfort we have. It's always been about the cross. Paul, who in his letter to the Ephesians begins it with this idea of grace and peace, picks up on this and expounds on it in chapter 2. In chapter 2, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's the gift. It's the Greek word charis. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. He's given it over to you, this, this enormous... And again, grace is less of a concept. It's more of a person. It's how Jesus lived out his life, died on the cross, rose again, and is giving himself over to us to receive that grace. And if you keep reading in chapter 2 of Ephesians, you'll arrive at verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our shalom. 
who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul's addressing, in this moment, both spiritual and racial tension of Jews and Gentiles. And you know what he says about the grace Jesus gave? It says he destroyed the hostility, the dividing wall that were dividing these two groups. It says he brought peace. He brought oneness by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, please, please hear this, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, shalom. What, what was the result of the grace of God through Jesus Christ? The things that were dividing them back then that still divide us today are destroyed because through Jesus Christ, he's creating one new humanity. So what does this look like? For us moving forward, how do we participate in this activity of bringing things back into order, of living our grace and welcoming shalom? Well, I think it, it begins with looking at the cross. It's where we draw our, our, our model from, of what this looks like. It's where we draw our strength from, is understanding that we have a love that can never be removed from us. Uh, secondly, would we remember that people are grieving right now? You're grieving right now at some level. And that requires grace. Thirdly, that in this moment, as the church, we would step into God's work of restorative justice in our world. And it has to look more, more than just a, a, a post or a conversation it needs to begin with prayer. We are convinced prayer is the most powerful tool we have been given in this, in this fight in the heavenlies. Uh, secondly, it's, it's listening, it's repenting, it's lamenting what has been going on and asking the Holy Spirit, God, how do I step into that? And as we listen, hear the stories, as we learn it's becoming a person who continues to advocate and lay down their life whenever we see oppression. And to choose to never let, to never let something become so politi politicized that we lose its biblical vision and that we'd be about God's heart for every single person on this earth. As a church, we're committed to that. And even though we're learning and even though we're not perfect, we won't stop asking God's Spirit to form us to be the exact representation of how he lived out his life of grace on the earth. So receive grace. If you feel like you're not doing enough, receive grace. If you feel like you don't know what to do, grace, peace, let God bring shalom and right ordering in your own heart, in your own mind. He can do it right now. Matter of fact, uh, let's, let's end this moment asking the Holy Spirit to come and reorder us, our own souls, us as a church, so that we can become people of grace and people of peace. 
that we can be about God's shalom and be an agent of grace everywhere that we go. So Father, we ask you right now, send your Holy Spirit. God, we know that these have been a heavy couple of months. This has been a heavy week. And God, we're mourning and we're grieving. And Lord, in our loss, we look to you. God, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we're asking for peace. God, we're crying out for your shalom. Lord, thank you that you have given us a way to peace because of your grace, because you've given yourself to us. Now, Holy Spirit, as you are restoring us, as we receive your grace, let us become people of peace and people of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. Thank you.